and welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we are going to be looking at the case of the Crown on the application of AAA and the Secretary of State for the Home Department, otherwise known as the Rwanda decision. The citation for this case is 2023 UKSC 42. And this is undoubtedly one of the biggest legal decisions of the year. The Rwanda decision was highly anticipated, and when it was eventually handed down, it sent political shockwaves through Westminster. We will focus on the legal decision for the purposes of this episode, but we'll also discuss some of the political implications at the end too. Subscribers to my newsletter have already had the chance to read some of my initial thoughts on the day of the decision, and remember if you want to stay up to date with the legal news and help to support this podcast, then subscribing to UK Law Weekly on Substack is the best way to do that. Anyway, most people will probably be aware of what the Rwanda policy is by this point, but a reminder is always useful. Paragraphs 345a to 345d of the Immigration Rules allow the Home Secretary to treat an asylum claim as inadmissible if the claimant already had an opportunity to apply for asylum in a safe third country, but failed to do so. At that point, the claimant can be removed from the UK to any safe third country that accepts them. The question is, what makes a country safe? And paragraph 345b gives us an idea by making it clear that a country will only be deemed safe if the principle of non-refoulement is respected there. Non-refoulement is a general principle from international law that demands an asylum seeker not be returned to a country where their life or freedom would be threatened on the basis of their race, religion, nationality, membership of a social group, or their political opinion, or if they would be at risk of torture or inhuman or degrading treatment. This is where Rwanda comes in. In early 2022, the UK and Rwanda entered into a Memorandum of Understanding whereby certain arrangements and assurances were given. On the basis of this agreement, the Home Secretary declared Rwanda to be a safe third country. That assessment is what is being challenged by a number of asylum seekers in these proceedings. Furthermore, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees intervened as well. When the case first appeared before the Divisional Court, it was decided that while the Rwanda policy was in principle lawful, the implementation of that policy in the individual cases was procedurally flawed. A short while later, an appeal was launched before the Court of Appeal, which was asked to consider the lawfulness of the Rwanda policy. By a majority, that court held that the policy was not, in fact, lawful. After reconsidering the evidence, it was felt that there were substantial grounds for believing that there was a real risk that asylum claims would not actually be properly determined by Rwandan authorities, and that there was a risk of refoulement. Another argument made by a claimant in relation to retained EU law was, however, rejected by the court. The Home Secretary appealed to the Supreme Court regarding the lawfulness of the policy, and that is where we pick things up. The justices began by noting that non-refoulement is a core principle of international law, 
and asylum seekers who make their way to the UK are protected by a number of international treaties that have been ratified here. Specifically, there are protections set out in the 1951 Refugee Convention, as well as Article 3 of the European Convention on Human Rights. These are implemented in UK law via Section 6 of the Human Rights Act 1998, as well as various immigration statutes such as the Nationality, Immigration and Asylum Act 2002. With that in mind, there are a number of legal issues which are raised in this appeal from the Home Secretary. The first of these is whether the Divisional Court originally applied the wrong legal test when considering the risk of refoulement. The Supreme Court held that the correct test is whether there are substantial grounds for believing that the removal of asylum seekers to Rwanda would expose them to a real risk of ill-treatment as a result of refoulement. It was not really clear from the original judgment whether this was the test that was applied in the divisional court, but that is not too important given what happened in the Court of Appeal. The second question was whether the Court of Appeal was actually entitled to interfere with the decision of the divisional court, and it was held that it could because there were issues with the way that the lower court treated the evidence. Both European and domestic case law make it clear that the court is required to consider how the asylum system in the receiving state, for example Rwanda, operates in practical terms. Part of that consideration includes reflecting on deficiencies identified by expert bodies like the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. Simple assurances like those in the Memorandum of Understanding are not enough. Instead, a court must adopt a fact-sensitive approach that looks at things like the human rights record in the receiving state, the laws and practices of that state, and the mechanisms used for monitoring. The problem was that the divisional court did not do this, and instead relied on the assurances from the Home Secretary, instead of engaging with the evidence presented from the UN. This evidence ought to have been given significant weight, as the Refugee Agency has unrivaled practical experience when it comes to the details of the Rwandan asylum system. This brings us to the last issue, which is whether the Court of Appeal was entitled to conclude that there were substantial grounds for believing that asylum seekers would face a real risk of ill-treatment by reason of refoulement after they had been removed to Rwanda. The justices held that they were entitled to reach that conclusion based on the following evidence. Firstly, Rwanda does have a poor human rights record, and this is something that the UK government has itself acknowledged. Back in 2021, concerns were raised about extrajudicial killings, deaths in custody enforced disappearances and torture. Officials in the UK have also identified serious constraints on both media and political freedom in Rwanda. Secondly, the evidence presented by the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees is damning and identifies serious and systematic defects in the procedures and institutions for processing asylum claims in Rwanda. These defects include, but are not limited to, a lack of legal representation, a failure of independence in the judiciary, as well as the legal profession, 
a high rate of rejections from conflict zones common to the UK asylum system, the fact that Rwanda continues to practice refoulement even since the original Memorandum of Understanding was signed, and the seeming failure of the Rwandan government to understand the requirements of the Refugee Convention. The third piece of evidence was a similar agreement that Rwanda previously had with Israel, where they failed to comply with an undertaking to comply with the principle of non-refoulement. The Supreme Court concluded that while the Rwandan government likely did enter into the agreement with the UK in good faith, the overwhelming evidence shows that there are substantial grounds for believing that there is a real risk asylum claims will not be determined properly, and that the principle of non-refoulement will be violated. Finally, the cross-appeal relating to retained EU law was dismissed. Well, where do we start with all of this? When I wrote about the decision in my newsletter after it was first handed down, I said that I was a little surprised. Before it was handed down, I was probably 50-50 on what conclusion the Supreme Court would come to. On the one hand, this is clearly an ill-thought-out policy that rides roughshod over all human rights concerns, but as I have often talked about in the past, the Supreme Court under Lord Reid has been very conservative in its approach, and is much more willing to side with the government when it comes to reviewing decisions of the executive. With that in mind, the unanimous decision of the Supreme Court only further emphasises just how weak the policy is in legal terms. Since this decision was announced, the government has responded by publishing a draft of proposed legislation that seeks to confirm that Rwanda is a safe third country and ousts the application of key Human Rights Act provisions as well as the Refugee Convention. Some Conservatives do not think that this proposal goes far enough, and indeed Robert Jenrick resigned his cabinet position based on that view. For my part, I think that the response and the legislation shows that the government does not really understand the legal issues, whether that be deliberately or otherwise. To show you what I mean, here is a short extract from paragraph 25 of the judgment. Quote, It may be that the principle of non-refoulement also forms part of customary international law. The United Kingdom has subscribed to this view, along with the other state parties to the Refugee Convention, in the 2001 Declaration of State Parties to the 1951 Convention and or its 1967 Protocol relating to the status of refugees. End quote. Customary international law, for reference, comprises certain principles of international law that are so fundamentally important that they transcend written agreements and treaties. In other words, there is no way that the UK can really get around this principle whatsoever. The new bill can try to oust the jurisdiction of the courts in any which way it pleases, but that will not stop asylum seekers challenging the decision of the Home Secretary, and any judge worth their salt would rightly rely on this decision and the principle of non-refoulement to once again put a halt to this disastrous policy. Another example of this legal deafness by the government is that in the judgment the Supreme Court makes it clear that simply upgrading the Memorandum of Understanding to a treaty will not change the facts on the ground. Despite that fact, last week the Home Secretary arrived in Rwanda to sign a treaty. 
The whole charade is a baffling piece of politicking, as the government seeks to double down on this expensive, disastrous policy that will do nothing to stop the boats. Sending the minister to Rwanda is frankly a waste of jet fuel, but there is perhaps some solace that it will be the last government-subsidised flight to Rwanda for some time to come. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. A quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, then you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks including more content from me each week and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. This week in the newsletter, I actually went through the draft bill published by the government this week and went through it provision by provision and tried to look at how they were trying to oust the jurisdiction of the courts and to what extent that they might be able to succeed in doing so or more likely failing to do so. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week. But for now, bye. Bye.